Hey, good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Wednesday evening. We're back here with another episode of Real Talks, and this is our fourth episode. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, basically what we do is we talk about a lot of things that are affecting the body of Christ. Um, anything from real world events, anything from uh, just just pretty much anything that's going on that's affecting you. And we're bringing in people from our city um, and from our area to talk about this that are a lot more knowledgeable than us. And uh, so hopefully you've been finding these very applicable and to your life. And you can always go back and find these on our Facebook channel or also on our YouTube channel. And tonight, I'm super excited for episode four. We're talking about apologetics. And if that's a new word for you, we're going to explain it a little bit tonight. And we got some amazing guys who are going to tell it a lot better than I can, who live this, they eat this. Um, this is who they are. And so it's going to be an awesome episode. Any questions that you have, you feel free to comment any questions. Uh, there's no stupid questions, no wrong questions. We may not have the right answer, the answer you're looking for. Uh, but we'll give you our best shot. And so in just a moment, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and share just a little bit about who they are. Um, but if that is, um, so if that's on your mind, man, just throw a question. There's no stupid questions, and uh, we'll try and answer them the best we can. Now, the last time we weren't able to get to all of them, uh, we'll get to as many as we can. And so I'm super excited tonight. I'm going to begin in prayer, and uh, then we'll get started. God, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here. Um, Lord, with these awesome men of God, Lord, I pray that you just use this um, God, just to open someone's eyes, uh, maybe to strengthen them in their faith, um, Lord, just to see what's really going on, and God, how, how can we defend you? And when we maybe don't know what to say, or maybe we just don't know how to approach somebody who doesn't believe the way we do, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just take this and you'd enlighten us, that you use it for your glory, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us tonight, and we love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So with that being said, I'm going to turn the mic over to these guys up front, and they're just going to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we'll get started. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Caleb. I appreciate that. Um, I'm Dr. Braxton Hunter. I'm the president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. So I think about this kind of thing all the time, you know, uh, the big questions of life, worldview issues, how does Christianity relate to other religions in the world and to atheism and agnosticism. And I teach some of our classes on apologetics. That's that word you heard your pastor use a minute ago, and maybe we'll unpack that a little bit as we go on. Uh, but as well as at least one other person on the stage here, I I teach this stuff regularly and love to talk about it, so I'm excited to be here with you, Caleb. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jonathan Pritchett. I'm the Vice President of Academic Affairs at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Uh, we're actually located here in Evansville, right next door to Newburgh, and uh, we, we also have a podcast uh, on YouTube and I think iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, called Trinity Radio that, that we host. You'll see videos talking about a these apologetic topics and responding to challenges that, that people pose to the Christian faith. So in addition to teaching courses, we'd like to do real-world ministries and and address some of those issues in our podcasts that, that people are talking about right now uh, on YouTube and on other social media where these uh, popularizers uh, who are critics of the Christian faith, whether they're atheists or they're from other religions, we'd like to address their uh, arguments and make sure that, that we provide Christians with the information they need to answer those challenges that they bring to the Christian faith. That's awesome. Uh, and I am uh, Bill Bowman, and I'm the uh, outreach pastor here at Rhythm Church. So there we go. So everybody knows Bill, so you guys got these two guys. Also, what was the name of that a podcaster on YouTube channel? Trinity Radio. So Yeah, you can find it at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. That's how humble I am that it's Braxton Hunter. 
<laughs> there not, it is. Not named after me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, I encourage you to look. There's some awesome content on there. And uh, so I've known Braxton for, I don't know, four or five years now. And uh, he's held a lot of different roles since I've just in ministry since I've known his story, super knowledgeable. Um, and I've known Jonathan just for a little bit. And so these are two awesome guys who know the Bible, who know um, much more than what you're going to get on a Sunday morning. They know how to take you deeper and um, answer some of these questions from different faiths, from no faith at all, um, to maybe just equip you. I think this maybe is what it is, is to equip uh, the body of Christ to be able to stand up for their faith and not, not be afraid or not to shy away from it. Um, so with that being said, uh, when you hear the word apologetics, let's just start with it. When you hear the word apologetics, um, what, what do you think, what is that? What is apologetics? Yeah, so um, when you hear it, you think these guys are apologists. They're doing apologetics. Are they apologizing for the gospel? That's actually the opposite of what it is. Um, even though we use that word like I'm trying to apologize for something, it comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means mm. defense, to give a defense or in defense of. And the Bible actually says that Christians should be ready and willing. First Peter three fifteen. Yeah, it is, yeah. First Peter three fifteen says, "Be ready and willing always to give a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you, but do it with gentleness and respect." So the idea is, um, Peter was telling regular everyday Christians. Uh, that they were to be ready to give an answer, to give a defense for why they believe all this is true when people challenge the Christian faith. So hmm. when you're doing apologetics, you're the kind of person that's responding to criticisms, as Dr. Pritchett said, of the Christian faith. So, And we can do that with, the, the Bible says to do that with gentleness and respect, so we should do it with a spirit mm -hmm. of love. But that's what we do. Yeah, I was going to add to that that the first part of 1 Peter 3.15 is probably the most important part of that verse that mentions being prepared to give a defense, and that is set apart Jesus as Lord in your mm, hearts. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's so good. That's, that, mm. that right there allows you to do this that's right. with gentleness that's right. and respect. Mm. And so it's very important for Christians to always keep you know, the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. So you right. have to have that. Hmm. passionate relationship with Jesus that you stay and uh, uh, help to foster in prayer and yeah. spiritual disciplines and your scripture study and things like that because that more than I think knowing all the literature that mm -hmm. we assign in our mm -hmm. classes yeah. um, is probably the key Paramount, to being effective yeah. with talking to real people and mm. addressing their their, yeah. their concerns and their yeah. criticisms and their challenges. And, and, so. to, mm. and to finish kind of saying that, uh, that, that's great. That's very important, Dr. Pritchett. And I would say for some of you out there, it may kind of come as a surprise mm. that this even exists, that yeah. people do this, you know? Yeah, um, that sure. There are people giving answers to atheists and, mm. and movie stars that are atheists yep. who are saying anti-Christian things. Mm. And so that's kind of what this whole field is, and you can learn to do it, and we think Christians should try. Mm. Yep, so good. So when you think of apologetics in the sense of a church for a believer, why do you think it's so important for Christians in the church to... Um, study apologetics to know a little bit about apologetics. Why do you think it's so important for today's in the, in the society we're living in? You want to answer? Yeah, I, I love this question because I think apologetics has a uh, prominent role to play in discipleship. Mm. Because in addition to just answering challenges, sometimes Christians have their own doubts and yeah. they have their own questions that they want that, that they 
they don't know necessarily how to find the answers to those kind of That's things. Right. And so I think that apologetics, first and foremost, should be a function of the church and discipleship mm. so that it can strengthen the faith mm -hmm. of believers in mm. the ch local church communities. Yeah. So that is, uh, to me, one of my major talking points Absolutely. that I like to bring up first and foremost, why I love the question, because you don't see a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And in, uh, for the past 25 years or so, we have seen younger and younger, yeah. uh, more younger and younger. They get younger every mm -hmm. year. You know, it was, well, the, the high, seniors in high school and mm -hmm. now the juniors in high yeah, school. Yeah. Now they're saying that you're losing them in grade school. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of it is because they're asking questions uh, that they hear in the culture, mm -hmm. and they're not getting the answers in the church. Uh, and if wow. the church is not there to answer their mm. questions, they will get them answered by people who will tell tell them that, well, the reason why mm -hmm. you're not getting an answer is because <laughs> they either, A, don't have them, or they have the wrong answer because your religion is bogus. Mm. And so, Which they, is why we should appreciate people like you, Pastor right. Caleb, mm. who want to facilitate an opportunity for apologists to come in and talk to your people. Yeah. But, but to, to bring it closer to home, like what Dr. Pritchett could be talking about is maybe you're a Christian and it's not that there's some um, atheist or Muslim or somebody like that challenging your faith, but maybe you on your own have just thought, why, you know, why would a loving God allow for, say, my mother to get cancer? Or mm. why, uh, or uh, uh, how do I really know there's a God? Or how do I know that Jesus rose from the dead? Mm -hmm. Those are questions that come up for every Christian. Yeah. And what may blow your mind is that PhDs uh, and mm. scholars going all the way back to just a few hundred years after the church began, and of course Christians going back further than that all the way to the beginning, have been giving answers, and, um, and, and so mm. those answers are out there. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, a lot of the, a lot of the problems we're seeing today, uh, even in the church, is because we haven't been equipped, we're not talking about it, um, and now problems arise when the church doesn't talk about it. Um, and so I think the biggest thing, so where, where would the question be? So let's go to the question now. Say a church is start, wanting to start uh, some kind of apologetics ministry, uh, but they don't know where to start. Uh, where would you advise them starting a new ministry that's geared toward apologetics just specifically? Yeah, so it's funny because what Dr. Pritchett was talking about, which is that what this, this issue that we're calling apologetics, um, in discipleship, in your growth as a Christian and with Christ, is actually something I just did my doctoral dissertation mm. on at Luther Rice Seminary. And so I've thought a lot about this. Yeah. I think a great place to start is either in small groups or mm -hmm. do you all do small yeah, we groups? we do, do do small groups, yeah. Okay, I think small groups that, that you, you take a few people mm -hmm. who, who maybe are really interested in this and get them trained, and then those people can become kind of the go-to people yeah, in the church that, yeah. when somebody's having doubts or when, when there's an atheist who's come as a visitor mm -hmm. or a Muslim or a Hindu or yeah. whatever else. And, um, and I think you start with a small group like that where you say, it, it, you can ask whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Don't worry yeah, that you're yeah. going to offend us. Yeah. Don't worry people are going to think less of you because you've had a doubt. And then you get, a good, get some good material. You know, one of the most well-known uh, books to get started in Christian apologetics is The Case for Christ yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Uh, about the resurrection. And, that, and there's a movie that, that goes along yep. with that. You wrote so. a pretty good book about... I wrote a book for this purpose, right. yeah. <laughs> I wrote a book I'll for... I'll go ahead and bring it up yeah, so you yeah, don't right. look... So, yes. So his book, Core Facts, uh, is kind of a gateway uh, to, to explaining kind of an introduction-level apologetics okay. and how to teach it and share it with yeah, others. Yeah, yeah. And... 
uh, I think his book is actually really good and effective, more so because we have to read a lot of this this literature, and yeah. there are a lot of books like that. Mm-hmm. I think his is one of the better ones because of the way he, he set up the title Core Facts is an acrostic. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, it makes it easy to memorize those th- things. I'll let you unpack that since it's your book. But I do want uh, to say, to get it going, I like his idea of the small group because yeah. – in a seminary, the reason why we don't have one professor doing everything mm-hmm. is because, like a church, mm-hmm. you share the burden. Yeah, that's right. Because not everyone has time to become an expert mm-hmm. in everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you've already, you've already, you know, you want people to read scripture, mm-hmm. um, and, and so people have sometimes they have a difficult time just keeping up with their daily Bible yeah, readings yeah. and Bible study, and yeah. I, I get that too. Yep, we have for, those yeah, same yeah. challenges. That's why I love the Bible app, and I just listen there it to is. the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and by the way, if you if you want to know, is it okay to listen to your Bible app instead of read it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people, for most of human history, <laughs> have had the Bible. Read, read to, to them, them by yeah. someone else yep. because uh, literacy rates and uh, have not been what they are now in times yeah, past. Yeah. And of course, prior to the printing press, nobody had their own Bible yeah. on their shelves. So it's okay to listen to your Bible, but uh, to try to get that in. Uh, <laughs> but but you start with some people, and as long as every church has that g- core group mm-hmm. or at least some members trained in this, mm-hmm. that that if you don't have all the answers that that that, that you're looking for, you know where to go get mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And so. You know, it, it's a journey for all of us yeah, sure. to grow in our faith, to grow yeah. in our knowledge of uh, of Scripture, of doctrine, of theology, of apologetics, of how to be effective evangelists to mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. reach people in our community. Yeah. How we need to get involved in social uh, issues and and outreach yep, yep. and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. A lot going on. Yeah. So so when you start small with a few group of interested people, yeah, and then you also I think weave it into. Uh, you, you can host a, a conference mm-hmm. for a weekend or, mm-hmm. or a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. And if you give enough uh, to whet the appetite, people mm-hmm. may go pursue that on their own. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to learn out there, and don't feel like you need to be an expert. And go ahead and explain to them why I am plugging your book for you. <laughs> well, it's just, yeah. it's a lot to explain, yeah. and I think it goes beyond the question. But I will say, um, I do have a book on that, and I'll yeah. be happy to help you out with, with getting that set up. But well, give it yeah, the acrostic. I, well, okay, so the name of the book is Core Facts, and uh, the first four letters of Core Facts, every letter stands for something, so mm-hmm. uh, the C stands for cause, the universe had a cause, and there's a, there's a case that God is the best explanation for that. O is for order, that's like a design argument that you may have heard, look at the design in the world, and, and the best explanation for that is God. And then, uh, and so it goes through, the word core all has to do with stuff that has to do with God's existence. Mm-hmm. And then facts has to do with the case for the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah. But yeah, we think it's important in church, and, and uh, I'm glad that you're emphasizing Absolutely. It. So where could we find you? You have multiple books, I know. Where could we find your yeah, books? Yeah, you just go to Amazon and, and search my name, Braxton Hunter, or you can go to braxtonhunter.com. See, again, how humble I am. Braxtonhunter.com, <laughs> and go to the resources page. <laughs> there it is. It's simple. Once you get the name, you got it. <laughs> let's go. Bill, do you got anything? I want to get some questions that's coming in. You got any questions right off the bat here? Uh, no, not at the time. I'm just uh, being like a sponge right now and <laughs> soaking all this great knowledge up. Yeah, it's good stuff. So we got a question here from somebody in the audience, and it says, um, his question is, how do you defend Christianity against the church itself that isn't acting Christian? Yeah, well, and that's a form of, that is, that is a great question. Is so it, yeah. I was doing that before I ever knew what apologetics was. <laughs> um, and it's probably what you're doing, Caleb, which mm. is just making sure that, 
So th that's a multi-layered question. Yeah, it is. So one thing is, if there's false teaching in the church, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> it is really and dangerous. And a lot of the uh, apologetics that we find in the New Testament of the Bible is the apostles, the New Testament authors, mm -hmm. speaking about false beliefs that have infected the church, heresies that had gotten in the church. The, the book of 1 John is about the first church split in mm -hmm. Christian history. So, mm -hmm. so, that, so that's an important thing, and the way you confront that is just to hit people with the gospel truth and make sure the church understands the gospel, understands who Jesus is, understands who God is, and the way of salvation. Uh, but then when it comes to the second layer of that, which is, okay, what if everybody's believing the right thing, but either they're not doing what they should be doing in terms of personally ministering to their community or loving each other within the church? That can be a danger to the church in a big yeah. way. The idea of the mad, angry, mean church person um, is out there in the culture, obviously. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I've met that person before mm -hmm. in multiple churches. Yeah. And so that has to be confronted by a loving patient pastor like we've got here, the way that you're doing it already. And so it's a good question because that is a form of apologetics in the sense we're talking about when it comes to false prophecy and false belief, but it's also apologetics in a more subtle way, the way you're doing it every week in the church. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, actually, I, I do have a question for you. And so in, in, in talking about ap apologetics and, of course, you know, not apologizing for the word of the Bible, but definitely wanting to equip. And like you said, you know, it's great starting with something in, in small groups and, and, and getting that out and making sure even on the small group level or the church level, like with Caleb, that you are speaking truth and you are talking truth. But what, are, what it maybe would be a, because I know how I tend to, to respond to people when you're trying to debate with somebody that has a lot of questions about not just the Bible in general, but why do you believe the Word of God and what the Bible says? So what are maybe some suggestions that you might have to people that, to I don't want to say dumb it down, but maybe simplify it for somebody that might not so, be as well uh, I love that. first as others? I love that. And so I think probably as we move through over the next few moments and maybe some other questions come in, some of the most obvious topics that you'd end up discussing with people will probably be brought up. And if they aren't, mm -hmm. we'll bring them up. But, and I'll try to do that here so that we can see it. Me and Dr. Pritchett will try to do that here so you can see how can you make it simple and understandable. Um, but I think a, a, an important thing that you made me think of that is vital to this is most church people don't think they can do the sort of thing we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Talk about mm -hmm. worldview issues, why I believe, with someone who isn't a believer. And uh, part of my research mm -hmm. was, and my doctoral dissertation was to figure out why. One of the reasons is they think it's too complicated. They think it all has to do with all this science and philosophy, <laughs> and they can never learn to do it. And so that's one reason, and that's false. You can learn to do it because you don't have to have a PhD in this stuff. You just kind of need to know some basics. Secondly, they're, they're afraid they'll say the wrong thing mm, yeah. to someone, yeah. which is what you said. You want to make sure you're speaking the truth. They're afraid they'll say the wrong thing to someone and like confirm them in their atheism or something mm, or, or mm. in whatever they're in. Here's the answer to that. This is, I say this all the time. Pritchett's probably sick of hearing me say it. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's okay if you're talking to someone and it's, 
I'll put it this way. You can be a Christian apologist, a Christian defender tonight, mm. even if this is the first time you've ever heard of this stuff. And the way you do it is, you may not be, a, be ready to be an answer giver yet, like hopefully we are, but you can be an answer finder for people. The mm. way you be an answer finder is if, if I'm talking to someone and they ask me something that I don't know the answer to, you know what I say? I don't know. You say, yeah, but then they'll know that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's the problem with that? It's okay. You can let them know you don't know, and you say, I don't know, but that's a really interesting question, and I'm going to go find out, and then I'll come back, and we'll keep this discussion going. And so you can be an answer finder, and that is the most important thing. See, I was raised, Caleb, you had some great people around you, mm-hmm. but, but nobody told me this. Mm-hmm. But when I was a young pastor, yeah. I just kind of picked up that the preacher's supposed to be able to thump the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, <laughs> even if he don't know what the Lord thus saith about that. And so, but, but that's wrong, man. It's okay it's to wrong, say, yeah. I don't know. And I think that's important. Yeah, yeah I just want to add to that just on a practical level when you, when you talk about getting into discussions or debates. Right. Uh, now, online, I just tell people don't get into it. Because you're going to go on a Facebook thread or a YouTube thread 40 posts deep and only you and the person you're arguing with care at that point and you're not even reading what they say. They're not. Those people are out there to suck your time away. Yes. And so when it's online, I, I don't debate online. Try to have civil discussions, but if it gets ugly you can detect real quick and I've gotten sucked into these things myself where I'm just constantly yeah, no having joke. to say something back every time and everyone's out for the last one. It's a complete waste of your time. They are trying to ruin your day. Yeah. Uh, so, but if you can find people to discuss with, it's, you know, you can build relationships with people, whether online or in person, but I think it's better to have these kind of discussions uh, in person because the internet's a train wreck these days. Uh, trying to have these conversations. But what you also discover when you're talking to people in person, when they're asking questions or presenting challenges to your beliefs, they're a lot nicer than they are on the Internet, right? And and they're also a lot dumber than they were on the Internet when they don't have Google. So you put smartphones <laughs> on the table when you have this conversation, and you realize that, oh, well, they know what they think they know on the same level that I know what I think I know. And so... Like he was saying, it's okay to say, I don't know, but you're also going to realize that they don't really know either when they, when they can't go Google something real quick. And so that's my, you know, and just be nice and be patient with people. And they're going to feed off your energy, especially in person. So if you're civil, they will typically be civil unless they just have an ax to grind, which Jesus has advice for that as well. And sometimes we don't talk about that in evangelism, but if they don't receive your message, shake the dust off your feet and walk away. Mm. Next thing you know, you're you're a hundred comments deep, and you're still where you was at at the very first comment. But what I like to do is when people ask me how can I have faith in what the, the, the word says and why do I believe? For me, this is how my view is on it: is the Bible is my, my owner's manual, and I look at it as when some when when a company makes something they build something they create something it comes with an owner's manual and it tells you how to operate it 
Now, unfortunately for most of us men, when we open something up, we take that owner's manual and those directions and we throw it out like we can do this ourselves. And then we end up screwing it up and we're, we're in the trash looking for it. But that's how I, to me, that's how I refer to the, uh, a lot of times to people and trying to get to simplify it is the Bible is what God created. God created us, but God also created the word. And that word, for me, that is my instruction manual for life and how to get through life and to work properly from day one to day whatever. So he's from Nashville, Tennessee, but I'm from Central Arkansas, so I like Real simple. Okay, <laughs> we're simple folks from Arkansas. We're not as fancy as, as those Nashville guys. Are. That's true. Yeah. No, it is true. So, so everyone has authorities, right? So, so why should I believe your Bible? Well... Uh, the testimony in the church and the Bible and its veracity and defense of its reliability, we have answers for that. And it has stood for 2,000 years. And contrary to the popular opinions and impressions people try to give, um, we're still around, you know. And, and a lot of us aren't going anywhere. Why is it that we do that? Well, because we have this apologetics that continue to answer the objections that are raised. Now, I have more faith, and this, this, this irritates people sometimes, but I have more faith in God's Word than I have faith in even scientific theories that are subject to change and revision as new data comes in. And, when, and it's usually somebody wants to juxtapose faith versus science, and I'm like, now wait a minute. Before we get into science, uh, if that's your authority, um, that's our thing, because Christians invented science because we believe that the cosmos is the product of a rational mind, and therefore it is intelligible to be discovered through methods like science. If you think that these are just molecules in motion, why think that dust in a blender can produce something that's comprehensible? So give me the foundation for why you think science is even possible unless you're borrowing capital from a Christian worldview that the universe is comprehensible because it is the product of a mind. So that's Well, we started of, out yeah. making it simple, and it got real deep real fast. But, it was, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think that you're making a good point. Now, now, here's something that I know somebody out there is wondering or could easily wonder because we get this question almost every time we do one of these things. Well, wait a minute. If you're believing on the basis of all this evidence and these facts and all that well th you know shouldn't you be believing because of the holy spirit and so it's important to point out uh, and this goes back to what you said about the bible hey this is my owner's manual and i just know mm. that's the way it is so it's easy to think about apologetics this way the holy spirit's work in our life is how we know that christianity is true mm -hmm. but christian apologetics and christian defense is just how we show other people that is true mm -hmm. so i know the bible is the word of god because i know that the holy spirit's at work in my life and he testifies to me the truth about that but if someone else doesn't believe the bible and wonder why should i believe that that's true okay well then we're going to do what dr pridget says we're going to get into some evidences and some reasons to believe but that's not how we know that's how we show someone right. and then when they trust and believe then they'll know because of the work of the holy spirit yeah so that's kind of how that works yeah no that's good you think, Dr. Pritchett? Well, I was going to say, even the most uh, foremost and premier apologist, a, a man by the name of uh, William Lane Craig, mm -hmm. uh, maybe some people in the audience I know have probably heard of him, some haven't, but uh, he has been debating this for 35, 40 years now, right? Um, and he typically gives the same opening statement in all of his debates, and he gives four 
lines of arguments for why you know God exists and why God raised Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. But believe it or not, his fifth. Uh, point that he brings up in his opening statements and debates against atheists who think that he's crazy. Hmm. He says, wholly apart from all of those arguments I just mentioned, you can know that Christianity is true because of the, inter- the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And so that sort of experiential knowledge that you have of what God has done in your life, right, that yeah. matters. Yeah, for sure. People want to dismiss your experience, mm-hmm. but you don't have to dismiss your experience. Mm-hmm. And so even when you have instances of doubt in your life, you can always go back to that, that the Holy Spirit's reassurance in your life that brings you comfort and joy. Um, and, and from there, you can work through these things and, you know, the, the answers that we give yeah. and the evidences and yeah. all of that. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I always tell people, people can't take your experience away from you. Uh, what they do with it, it's up to them, but they can't take that from you. Um, so I want to get into some, some more personal questions here, maybe that you've heard before. I'm sure you have uh, being around this. But this is someone that says, I've been told that there is a God who wants to have a relationship with me, but I don't see God. I can't hear God. There's a bunch of people around me who say that they do, but I don't personally. And it says, why does it seem that God is so hidden from us if he truly wants to have a relationship with me? <clears throat> okay, so um, that, that is a really important question, and it touches on two or three really key issues in this whole realm that we're, that we're talking about tonight. So first of all, believe it or not, this question that you're raising is talked about as the question of divine hiddenness. Divine has to do with God and hiddenness. It's hidden. It's like, why is God hidden? If he wants to have a relationship with me, shouldn't he make that clear to me? Shouldn't he, you know, show up, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and start talking to me and those mm. kind of things. And so, um, so, the, so, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate this out, and I'm going to answer this question by focusing on a couple of things. Um, first of all, is there a God? That was part of your question. So there's a, a lot of ways we go around about this, and I'm going to say the word argument because we make arguments that God exists. But when I say argument, I don't mean an argument like where I'm mad at Dr. Pritchett and we're yelling at each other. You can make an argument and be loving. It's just we make an argument that gravity exists. We make an argument for dark matter. You know, I'm, and so I'm going to make an argument for God's existence here. And this is kind of getting into some of this stuff now that we've been kind of dancing around. So one argument would be something like, um, and th- this might be kind of, well, let's start with a simple one. So morality, uh, morality, M-O-R, morality, morality. So morality is the, uh, when we're talking about things being right or wrong, good or bad, okay, right? That's your morality. And um, so here's what, we, here's what we'd want to point out, and philosophers have known this actually since before the time of Christ's work on, here on earth. Um, Plato talked about something kind of like this. And so the idea is, all right, so we have this morality. We have this sense that certain things are right, certain things are wrong, certain things are good, certain things are bad. But, but are they really right and wrong? Are they really good and bad? Well, there are two kinds of things in the world. And if it doesn't seem like this is answering your question, trust me, we're going to get there. There are objective things and subjective things. Subjective things are like matters of opinion. So is vanilla ice cream the best kind of ice cream? Or is Rocky Road the best kind of ice cream? It's a matter of opinion, right? It's, it's, there's not really a fact of the matter. It's, it's up to the person, you know? It's subjective in that way. It's a matter of opinion. But objective things are things that are true no matter what anybody thinks. So 2 plus 2 equals 4. 2 plus 2 equals 4 
and it doesn't equal 7, and it wouldn't matter if everyone on planet Earth thought that 2 plus 2 equals 7, they'd just all be wrong, and it would still equal 4, right? So here's the question. When we talk about right and wrong, let's talk about a really extreme example that I think we would all probably agree about. I think it's wrong to torture children just for the fun of it. Mm. And I'm hoping that all of you agree. If you don't agree, then maybe come back for Sunday's message <laughs> and maybe come to Jesus. But, um, but, but we should all agree that torturing children just because you like to hear their screams or because it's fun, that's wrong, mm. right? Or what Hitler did was wrong. Okay, we can agree on those things. But when we say it's wrong, do we mean that it's just a matter of opinion that it's wrong? Or do we mean it's wrong objectively, no matter what anybody thinks, it's wrong to torture children for the fun of it. Um, even if everybody else on earth thought that it was okay, they'd just all be wrong and it would still be wrong. I think we all know that's what we're talking about. It's really wrong. If you believe that, that means there's a God. Now, if you feel like I just jumped off the page, here's why. If there is no God, then who's to say what's right and wrong? It's just a matter of opinion. Says who? You say, well, but hold on a second, man. Hold on. We can agree as a, a community, as a culture, what's right and wrong. Well, hold mm -hmm. up. That doesn't work. Because right now, I'm in Newburgh, Indiana. And in Newburgh, Indiana, the buying and selling of marijuana for recreational use is considered immoral by our community, right? It's illegal. But I could get on a plane and go to Denver, Colorado, and all of a sudden, they don't think it's immoral. They don't think it's illegal. So it's still a matter of opinion. You've just made it in a matter of opinion of this community or that community. The only way you get real, objective morality, this is really right or really wrong, is if there's a God and it's from his nature that these things come. So if you believe that morality is real, if you believe it's really wrong to torture children for the fun of it, if you think some things are good and right, like kindness and love, then guess what? That means there's a God. And, if, and, guess, and by the way, Pritchett can back me up on this. When you listen to atheist debate, uh, like get on stage and argue with Christian philosophers, they know this is true. You know what some of them had to start saying? Then I guess it's not wrong to torture children for the fun of it. It's just a matter of opinion. And if you believe that, mm. you don't need me talking to you right now. You need a psychiatrist. So that's a good argument for God. Um, there's other ones. We've talked a little bit about the design of the universe, and I'm trying not to go off, guys, but I'm, I, no, it's you're a good, big man. question. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but so let's <laughs> talk about design for a minute. When you look at the design of the universe, do, do you know that in your cells, in the cells of your body, and there are trillions of them, there is a language system. The RNA comes in and copies the DNA code, and you've got the G, T, C, and A, these, the, this alphabet that's in your cells. And it's like a computer code. Bill Gates said that it is like a computer code, but far more advanced than anything we've ever been able to create. And the RNA comes in and copies that information from the DNA and builds protein molecules that go and make the structures that make up you and every other living thing in the world. Well, what's the one thing we know about language systems? Somebody had to come up with the language system. The alphabet indicates that there's someone who wrote the alphabet. This is information that indicates a mind. And if you say, well, I know about that, man. That's evolution. Evolution explains all of that. Listen, let me say this for the sake of time. Even if evolution is true, do you know what? It doesn't explain the first life on Earth, the, the first cell that was there that already had that language system. Or take it away from cells and life and biology altogether. 
Did you know that Stephen Hawking, you know Stephen Hawking, he's been on the Big Bang Theory, he's, he's, he passed away last year, but he used to always be in the wheelchair, he spoke with the electronic voice. He was one of the most brilliant scientists in the world. What, probably one of the most brilliant men who's ever lived, but he was an atheist. But, you, but do you know, he said that everything had to be fine-tuned. It's as though there's all these dials and gears and meters, like at NASA or something, and everything had to be fine-tuned within a hair's breadth. Uh, in order for the universe to even exist instead of collapsing in a hot fireball. So, um, mm -hmm. why is there that design? Why is it that beings like us are able to be here right now and to communicate? Well, you've got three options. You've got chance. It could all have happened by chance. And if you believe that, then I've got some oceanfront property in Oklahoma to sell you. <laughs> the reality is that, that things have to be so fine-tuned that, that it, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's just absurd. There's a book out there called The Signature in the Cell by a man named Stephen Meyer. You should read it. He's a physicist trained at Cambridge, and, and he shows that it's just absurd to think this could happen by chance. Well, perhaps it just had to be this way. There's no reason to think it had to be this way. And the third option is intelligent design. We were designed. That language system exists there for a reason. And listen to me. This is so important, and this is where it comes home to the heart issues. If this God created us to be beings that want relationships with one another, then it seems like he's someone who values relationships. If he created us to understand right and wrong, it seems like he wanted us to love and show kindness. And if that's this God we're talking about, that's a God who wants a relationship with you. But the best thing about it is there's good reason to believe, and maybe before the night's done we'll get to it, there's good historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, and he did that with a message of love for you mm. and for me. So maybe you don't see God right in front of you the way you'd like to see him physically, visually. Uh, put your hands and touch him and, and, and hug him. I look forward to that day one day in heaven. You may not have that, but every physical object, person, and concept in the universe is a part of a great argument that God exists and loves you. Yeah, that's so good. That's yeah, amazing. There it is. Mic drop on I that one. I just want to add that the, and for us Christians, the Bible kind of answers this to, to divine yeah, yeah, goodness. Yeah. We can kind of get some insight into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, from, from Genesis to Jesus, you find God trying different things to ha be in relational covenant with his people, people yeah. and people's sin always being... Think about when God did all of those uh, wonders through Moses and Aaron yeah, at, yeah. at the Exodus, yep. and he leads them out of Egypt, mm. and he crushes the army in the yeah. Red Sea, and how long did it take before they built a golden <laughs> calf? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so things... And so God has done these displays mm. all throughout uh, biblical history, coming to the point where even Jesus himself, and he talks about this in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 14 through 16, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, mm. it's good that I go away. Yeah, Because right. people did walk and talk with God, mm. the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, in the person of Jesus Christ on earth. But even he thought that he needed to go mm. and give his church uh, something to do for him. Because um, when you're talking about God, uh, and why can't I see and hear and taste, we're talking about a being who is what we would call incorporeal. See, we're all corporeal beings. If, mm, I, he doesn't have a physical him, body. Right, he does not have a physical body, so you don't expect to, to, to be able to have sense perception of yeah, that God. Yeah. But we all know how, when we say we hear from God, mm -hmm. we know that it's kind of an internal uh, prompting and yeah. unction from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
But God is a being who is omniscient. He's omnipresent. Mm -hmm. You know, he's all-powerful. Yeah. Um, omnipotent. So when you think about these attributes, mm. I, I, I t take, for example, uh, omnipresence. Yeah. God is everywhere, everywhere present, yeah. okay? And, and I'm sorry, I'm going to give you an, uh, some of our Arkansas humor, <laughs> but God has tried to be in everybody's grill, right, <laughs> in the yeah. past. Yeah. That didn't always work out. Mm -hmm. um, and you think about God always being present. Do you really want that presence of God visible right there when you're in the restroom, yeah, yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, if you think about it in relationships... You're so eloquent. I know. <laughs> there, there is that sense that I'm glad to know that everything is present before God and He knows all things and yeah. He's everywhere present, but I'm glad mm -hmm. that I don't just see Him like that mm -hmm. all, all the time. Yeah. You know? But you so. know, something that, that was brought up by the questioner that I thought of that I meant to get to, and it's this. When you hear people in church say things like, I hear God speaking into my life, or I feel God's presence in my life, or I just know that I heard God speaking to me about this issue, or God told me to do this or that. Mm -hmm. I want you to listen very closely. And if you're the person that says those things, you listen to. The reality is that that can be a very dangerous way to talk because if you're not careful about what you mean, then persons like the one who is asking this question can get the impression that you have more of an obvious sense experience of God than you actually do. I don't doubt that you feel that God is motivating you to do a particular thing. I know what that's like. Um, but, but when we say it the way we do, sometimes we give the impression that we are having more of an obvious sensory perception of God than we are. And then someone can feel like a second-class citizen and think, well, I don't have that like she does. Mm. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Or maybe it's not real. So understand, we don't want to overstate our experience of God. And that sounds, that almost sounds like blasphemous to say it that way. But we don't want to make it sound like something it's not. And at the same time, if you're a person who says, I don't really know that I feel God that way. You know something? The, the word feeling is only mentioned twice in the New Testament. And in neither place does it have anything to do with you being a Christian. What the, what, you can't trust your feelings all the time. Sometimes you do get the feels. Sometimes I'm in <laughs> prayer or I'm in worship out here, and man, I got the feels. But other times I come to church, and maybe I just had an argument with one of my kids out mm -hmm. in the car, and I'm not having feels for nothing, at least no good feels. So understand, that is not how we decide what's true. We decide what's true by the facts, the evidence, and the evidence points to a God who loves you. Yeah, so good. And you brought it up in your last statement, and you thought we would get into it. I want to get into it. So uh, someone says, how, how, can I, how can I know uh, without a doubt that the resurrection of Jesus really happened? Um, I'm going to give you a simple answer, and then Dr. Pritchett can clean up whatever, okay. I, whatever I don't do. Well, because he teaches a course on it. Yeah, there we go, at, yeah. At our school. Um, so he, he mentioned the book Core Facts that I have. So I, I use the word facts, and each letter of the word uh, facts stands for something else, a different piece of the case for um, the resurrection of Jesus. The F in the word facts stands for fatal. Jesus' wounds on the cross were fatal. What I want to say here is Jesus did die by Roman crucifixion. And do you know something? Every teaching historian at an accredited school on this planet believes, that has talked about this, believes that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. One of the best reasons to believe that is because Tacitus, the greatest historian of ancient Rome, um, mentioned that. He mentioned that Jesus died uh, by Roman crucifixion. So we know that he died. 
Um, secondly, the letter A stands for appeared. Jesus appeared mm -hmm. to people after his death. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, this is the gospel that I preached while I was with you, that Jesus was dead, according to the scriptures, buried and rose again. And then he goes on to say that he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. He says he appeared to the 12, he appeared to James, and he said as, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. It means mm -hmm. he appeared to Paul last. Okay, you say, yeah, but now you're giving me Bible. Why should I believe the Bible? <laughs> Guess what? That section, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, is believed to be historically reliable by um, some of the most liberal and skeptical people of, of, the, of the resurrection case. Mm. So even the historians who are not Christians, they believe that's historically reliable. Not that Jesus mm. rose from the dead, but that 500-plus people thought that they saw him after he died. Wow. They had experiences <clears throat> that at least they believed were the risen Christ, and that's powerful. Mm. Um, the C in the word facts is for... Um, what is it? What is C for? Committed. They were committed to the... I was testing you, Pritchett. They're committed to the point of death. They were willing to die. This is how much they believed that they saw Jesus alive after his death. Mm. They were committed to face persecution and willing to die for that belief. Mm. Uh, these people didn't say they were, that Jesus rose from the dead because it was going to make them rich and famous. That's right, yeah. Listen, people will do that so long as it's... People will lie as long as it's going to bring them money, mm -hmm. fame, power, the appreciation of the opposite sex, but they don't do it when it's going to cost them their life. I'll give you an example of this. <laughs> let's imagine that... To, you, everyone out there loves uh, Caleb. Uh, let, let's ma <laughs> let's imagine... That Pastor Caleb, let's imagine we were all going to make up our own religion. Now, we're not going to do this. Uh, don't think I'm a heretic. It's too early in our experience for you to think I'm a heretic. <laughs> but let's say we, let's imagine we decide we're going to make up our religion. And we said about, said, here's what we're going to say. That somebody came in here and took a sword and stuck it right through Caleb Clark's chest. And he fell over dead. And an hour later, we all saw him. The, the hole closed up on his chest. He stood up and began to expound <laughs> wisdom to us. And we'll have to have a name for this new religion, so we'll call it maybe like Clarkianism or something like that. <laughs> Clarkianity, maybe. And, um, is, and, yeah. so, and so we, we come up with this, and we start telling everyone, and we get famous for it. People are starting to buy in, and we're starting to build a big crowd of people who believe in this. And um, we get on the Today Show and Good Morning America, and we're talking <laughs> about this. That's all well and good as long as it's bringing us money, fame, power, and all of that. Mm. But the minute someone puts a gun to my head and says, deny your Messiah, Caleb Clark, or I'm going to put a gun, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. Now, at that point, I'm going to say, we made it all up. Because yeah. I'm not willing to die for Clarkianity. Yeah, I wouldn't right? either. So, yeah, and you're him. Right? Yeah. So, 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 this, so people will live for a lie That's as long right. as it yeah. brings them things, but they won't die for something they know isn't true. Hmm. And it's universally agreed upon by scholars that these people were willing, at least, to die for something. They faced serious persecution. Mm. And then the letter T in facts is for um, testimony. I've hinted at this already, but the testimony of scholars today, and when I say historians and scholars, I'm not just talking about Christians. There are New Testament scholars and historians who look at this who are atheist, Hindu, Christian, agnostic, and, and, and this is, these facts that I've mentioned are universally accepted. Jesus lived. He died by Roman crucifixion. People thought, people had experiences that they thought were the arisen Jesus appearing to them. They were committed mm -hmm. enough that they were willing to face persecution and possibly die for this. And, and the testimony of scholars confirms all those things. And then the S in facts is for salvation. If, if Jesus really rose from the dead, 
I've got a, I like the way uh, Frank Turek, uh, you probably yeah, heard yeah, Frank Turek. Yeah. I like the way he says this. If a man claims to be God and then rises from the dead, I believe whatever he says. And <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, and he's got things to say about the relationship he wants with you mm. for the person that asked that before, and also the way to salvation so you don't have to die and go to a place we call hell, but mm. can have eternity with him in the kingdom. Amen. So that's why we can trust that the resurrection of Jesus is true. Mm. So, Dr. Fritch, you got anything? He did a good job. I get give, him a, a, give him a, a B plus. A B plus on that one. Okay. <laughs> B plus. All right. Well, that's pretty good. No, that's good. That's We're good. getting a lot of questions coming in, and I want to try and get to as many as we yeah, can. Yeah. We'll try and, to be more uh, brief than we. No, 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 no. So you're good. No, this is no, this is so enlightening. I think a lot of people yeah. don't know of all the facts. They just hear it and say, "Well, I guess it's true." So, um, so this one says, "Why or what do I say to somebody who says, don't all religions lead to the same God?" Yeah. Uh, you say, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not true, because I think that's, what I like to do when, when I say that is like, I say, well, that's kind of disrespectful to Islam. I don't mm. even talk about Christianity, mm -hmm. because like Christianity, where Jesus is exclusive, you mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm the, yeah, right. the way, the truth, the life, no one comes yep. to the Father above yep. me, all right? But, but Islam insists that that is tr the world true religion, and you either convert, die, or pay taxes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's those are your choices yeah. throughout history. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So I always tell people, well, the problem with that is that the claims of all of these religions, you know, the bumper sticker coexist. Mm -hmm. There's an alternative bu bumper sticker that says contradict. And I think that that's right. And it's not just trying to be clever. It's mm -hmm. making a very important point about these religions. Yeah. These religions make mutually exclusive claims that mm. if this one's true, this one cannot possibly be true. Yeah. Yeah. A good example of that yeah. would be in the Quran. Okay. In the Quran, it says about Jesus, about his uh, crucifixion, it says, and I quote, uh, he did not die, they did not crucify him. Now, does that contradict Christianity? <laughs> At the core, it contradicts Christianity. Mm -hmm. The and Christian message, the centerpiece of the Christian faith is that Jesus died by crucifixion and rose again. So, yeah. so what Dr. Pritchett says is absolutely right. They're in, in direct contradiction. They can't possibly both be true. Now, I want to say, granted, most people who say those kinds of things, don't all religions leave? What they want to be is they want to be inclusive and mm -hmm. accepting and tolerant. Yeah. The problem with that is that it actually is the opposite. It is, it is disrespecting all of those religions that really believe their claims, mm -hmm. including Christianity, mm -hmm. that ours is the only true religion, yeah. theirs is the only true religion. Mm -hmm. And if you want to respect their religions, you need to respect what they say about their own religions. Mm -hmm. And, and so, if you love yeah. the person, you won't let them go on, even though, even though it seems like they're wanting to be loving in including all these other religions. Mm -hmm. That is dangerous if those are false religions and lead people to hell. So it's much more important that you speak the truth, but speak it in love. Yeah, you really love right. that person. Yeah, so this kind of goes off to that question. So how do I know Christianity is the right, the right religion? How do I know that's the only religion that leads me to a loving and everlasting God. Yeah, well, uh, see, that's the wonderful thing about apologetics. Uh, and and Christians aren't the only ones that has apologists. You can find uh, Muslim yeah, apologists yeah. and, and mm -hmm. so forth. Uh, so, so what we can do is, that's where apologetics comes in. Mm -hmm. Because, like you just said, if Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true, period. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, but they, they think the same thing about theirs. Okay, mm -hmm. now we have to go to the evidences. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned one claim of the Quran that Muslim scholars who are apologists mm -hmm. cannot, without embarrassment, 
go against the Quran, yeah. but cannot without embarrassment face the fact that the universal consists of Christians and atheists mm-hmm. and Jewish and, and all New Testament and historians, uh, New Testament scholarship, say that Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> yeah. Which means they're all saying the Quran is false, at least on that point. Right. Yeah. And wow. so you can start from there, and you can start unpacking the evidence for their uh, validity of their religious claims in their book, and then you can compare that to the evidences for Scripture. But so you, can do it, yeah. you can do it with lots of things. So with yeah. Buddhism, there's no I- idea of a personal God, but we have arguments that get you to a personal God, such as the moral argument I gave a while ago. Um, with Hinduism... Um, you, you have, they'll, they'll, yeah, you have multiple gods, <laughs> and, and, and one, yeah, you have this contradiction, and, and that's <laughs> even built into the way they perceive logic. But here's the thing, they want to take Jesus, do you know there are these, um, uh, what are called bhakti cults in Hinduism, which are little, little congregations, okay. where we have little churches, uh-huh. they have these little congregations that They'll worship this particular god of all the gods. They don't think that's the only god. Okay. It's one of the gods, but it's huh. their favorite god. Like, like you might have a sports team. Yeah, yeah, you were, yeah. Team. wow, okay. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. They try to do that. Some of them try to do that with Jesus wow. and bring it into Hinduism. Hmm. But Christianity, and Dr. Pritchett quoted the verse a while ago from hmm. John 14, but Jesus is, is the exclusive way, according to Jesus, to the Father, which means any religion that says there's other ways, if Jesus is right, those other religions are Go out wrong. the window, yeah. And the resurrection of Jesus vindicates everything that Jesus said about himself. So hmm. even if you're the kind of person that says, I don't know how to get in and argue with Hinduism and Islam and all these other things, <laughs> learn the resurrection. If the resurrection's true, Jesus was right, game over. Oh, hmm. tell them everything that Jesus is right about. But if the resurrection is true about the entire Bible. Go through that yeah, still. So, so we're talking about how do we know the Bible is true a while yeah. ago. Yeah, that's another question that came in. Yeah. Got, oh, is that yeah, one that's the question? Quite, how, do I, how can I know that I trust the Bible? That's God's word. Why can you trust the Bible? So here's. So this is great. This doesn't give you that the Bible is without error, even if it is. It is. But um, this gives you that the Bible is trustworthy and authoritative. Jesus', Jesus resurrection is not only the centerpiece uh, historically of the Christian faith. Paul said, if Christ be not raised, we of all men are most mm-hmm. miserable. Yeah. Um, it all hangs or falls on the resurrection. Mm. But also, the reason mm. you can trust the Bible all hangs on the resurrection. And here's why. I've never heard anybody else say this, but, but somebody probably has because there's nothing new under the sun. But um, Jesus, so the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all contain the resurrection. And, the re- and, and that means that the biggest claim, the biggest miracle claim in the Gospels mm-hmm. is the resurrection of yeah. Jesus. If we can trust the Gospel authors on the resurrection of Jesus, then why would we question them about lesser miracles mm-hmm. like turning water into wine or healing a blind man? Mm-hmm. So if, the, if they're telling us the truth about the resurrection, we can trust them. So the Gospel authors are telling us the truth. We have reason to trust them on big things, Okay. So if we have a reason to trust the Gospels on big things, guess who wrote the book of Luke? I uh, guess who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. Mm-hmm. We already know we can trust Luke because he's one of the Gospel authors, so we can trust Acts. If we can trust Luke in Acts, guess who the most important figure in the second half of the book of Acts is? It's the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. And that means that Luke is giving us that we can trust Paul. And if we can trust Paul... Paul fills out most of the rest of the New Testament, mm-hmm. and then you only have other, a, a couple others like Peter. We've already got Peter in the Gospels, and Mark is probably giving you the testimony of Peter. And, and then you have like Jude, and Jude is giving you stuff that's already in Second Peter. So, so we have reason to trust the whole New Testament, all because of the resurrection. 
But guess what? In the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus affirming, he says, everything is true that was written about me in the law, the prophets, and the writings. Mm. You know what the law, the prophets, and the writings is? Those are three divisions that make up the entirety of the Old Testament. So Jesus, if you can trust him because of the resurrection, says that the whole Old Testament is true and it's about him. So that means if the resurrection is true, the whole Bible is authoritative and trustworthy for your life. And so that's, it all goes back to the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, that's, wow, that's so good. This is good stuff. Uh, I've got another question. It kind of talks about the nature of God a little bit. So if God is so loving, uh, why does he send people to hell? I think that's a question a lot of us deal with in the church. But what's your take on that? Do you want me to take this one? Yeah, it's kind of weave in, and I'll. Okay, you'll you'll clean me up. Yeah, it's kind of okay. Yeah, well, not exactly. So, so here's the thing. So this mm-hmm. question of hell um, has got to be one of the things that comes up in every Christian's mind. Yeah. You know, listening to the preacher say, "Hey, we all deserve to be in hell," and we know intellectually that if Christianity is true, that's true because we're all sinners. But deep down somewhere, we all have probably had that experience of saying, yeah, but man, the punishment just don't seem to fit the crime, man. Come on. (laughs) Some little old, like you got Adolf Hitler over here. Yeah, he totally deserves hell. (laughs) But then you've got this sweet little old lady who never really did anything much wrong in our eyes, but just, you know, she didn't know Jesus. And she's going to the same hell as Adolf Hitler. I mean, come on, man. Um, But here's the thing about it. So, God, first of all, God doesn't want to send you to hell. That's right. Um, he's, he's reaching out to you. He said to the Israelites, he said, Why, I've set before you life and death. Mm. Choose life that you may live, you and your descendants. Why do you choose death? The same thing. Jesus says in the New Testament about Israel. How often I wanted to gather you under my wing mm. like, like a mother hen. And, of course, that's carried forth to the people of God in the New Covenant, the church, is that God doesn't want us to die and go to hell. But here's the thing, and this is important. God wanted, uh, the Bible tells us that God wanted us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. All right? So there's a guy running the camera tonight. I'm supposed to love him the way I love myself, and I'm supposed to love God. That's what God wants Mm. ultimately, Mm -hmm. right? How do you get real love? You have to have real freedom. People Mm. have to have the choice to choose the love or to choose to reject the love. Mm. It wouldn't really be much of a love story if I put a gun to my wife's head and made her marry <laughs> me, right? Or if she was a robot and she had to be programmed to marry me. That wouldn't be a real good love story. So God gives man the freedom to make real choices. You might say, yeah, but why doesn't God force everyone to freely always do the right thing? Mm-hmm. Say that again real slow and think about it. <laughs> you can't force someone to freely always do the right thing. If, even if you're God, if you're going to give someone free will, they've got free will. And they can choose to do mm-hmm. the right thing or not. This is why the tree in the garden. Yeah. Uh, people say, well, that's just setting mm-hmm. them up for failure. No, it's an opportunity. The tree being in the garden for Adam and Eve was an opportunity for them to make a choice. Am I going to love God and obey God, or am I going to choose to serve myself and have that fruit? And ultimately, they chose to serve self. But that was important because there had to be something to sacrifice and say, I'm not going to choose what I could choose because I want to love that person, God in that case. Mm. So we all make that choice. But here's where it comes home. God is a God of love. We always hear about God being a God of love, and that is so true. 
But God is also a God of justice. That's right. And he wouldn't be a good God if he didn't punish sin. Mm. So, well, hold on. Why can't he just say, forgive everybody? No, don't worry about it. Let's go back to Hitler again for a minute. Mm. Let's imagine we caught Hitler. Let's say he survived and we caught Hitler and we said, hey, you know what? We want to be loving people. Let's just forgive him. Let's just hug him and say, Hitler, don't do that ever again. That would not be good. People would cry out for justice. Why? Because even though it might seem in a weird way loving, it's not good because justice is good. Punishing sin is a good thing. And God is a good God. And if he's a good God, then he's not only going to be loving, he's going to be just. Hmm. The problem is every one of us sin. Dadgummit. And because we sin against an everlasting God, we, the penalty is an everlasting penalty. So what does a good God who's a loving God and a just God do? Well, since he's loving, he wants to make a way where we don't all have to go to hell. But since he's a just God, he must punish sin or he's not good. So what does he do? There's a solution. Who could pay the everlasting penalty and come back to talk about it? Who could die for the sin of the world? God himself could. Hmm. So he comes to be a man, to die on behalf of man, to take our sin so that this God of love and justice can satisfy that justice and show his love. So see, if you say something like, well, I don't think it's right that God would ever let anybody go to hell. You're saying you don't really want a good God. I understand how mm. you're thinking, but a good God is a just God, and that's the penalty. And I think that it's hard emotionally to take that in, but intellectually it all makes sense. And I think that's how we answer that problem of hell. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, this kind of question kind of goes along with this. Um, this person is, is relating to somebody who, who's on their way to hell, and it says like this. It says, what if they, that person has never heard the gospel? Um, why should they go to hell when they didn't know? So what you say to somebody who hasn't heard the gospel? Say they die, and do they go to heaven? Well, like, what happens to this well, kind of person? there's several different ways that people can hold understand up, hold this. Up. Before you say anything, yeah. remember when I said when somebody asks you a question and you don't know, you know what you can say? I don't know. <laughs> this is one of those things, but it's not because I haven't studied enough. I don't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. But what we can do is say, okay, taking what we do know, what might be a solution to that? Right. Yeah. And, and one solution to that is um, Paul in, in Romans chapter 1 talks about how God's divine attributes can be clearly seen in what he has made. Mm -hmm. And everyone, you know, everyone can, has this knowledge of God. They all know God. Uh, the problem, of course, is sin. And he goes on to say, but they do not honor uh, him as creator. But I believe that God is going to judge people based on the knowledge that they had. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's going to be that, that I have high hopes for everyone who'd never heard, mm -hmm. because the Bible does talk about what people do with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. I also know from the Bible and from the testimony of people and Muslims, mm -hmm. uh, but think about in the Bible the story of, of, of Paul on the road to Damascus, mm -hmm. of Jesus appearing and doing evangelism himself. <laughs> yeah, right there, yeah. That's right? happening in the Muslim community yeah, right yeah, yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there are ways in which, you know, the Bible gives us that each and every one of us is mm -hmm. without excuse. That's right. Period. Mm -hmm. So if you have the knowledge of God and yet you reject it, 
Now, you don't have to know all of, the, all of the details of Christianity. A lot of people who believe in Jesus and heard the gospel mm-hmm. don't know all the details of Christianity either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so God's going to mm-hmm. judge them based on the knowledge that they have. I know that, uh, I know that uh, Jesus does his own evangelism yeah. at, at times yeah. um, through dreams and visions. That's right, yeah. And I know that the question is so important that I don't want to just hope Jesus does all of the church's work for the church. That's right, yeah. That we need to go into all the world and make disciples. That's right, yeah. So there are several options, like Dr. Bridget says. His favorite option is the same one that Billy Graham, the famous evangelist who died just uh, last year, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, He had the same view as Dr. Bridget, which is the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. I'm held to a much higher standard than people that don't know. But the fact is... Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that the invisible things of God as eternal power and divine nature are clearly mm-hmm. seen through what has been made. What mm-hmm. he meant was, you go outside, look at the trees, look at the universe, look yeah. at space, look at... It's obvious that there's a God, so much so that if you don't believe in God, you don't have a good excuse for that. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul was saying. Mm-hmm. So, in order for that to make sense, some have concluded, like it sounds like Dr. Pritchett, that look, if you're out here on some island and you're in a tribe and you've never heard the gospel, but you look at the world around you and say, I know there's a God, and if I knew who that God was, I would worship him. Mm-hmm. That perhaps God will judge you based on that. Another answer, and my favorite answer, Caleb, and I'll say this and then, and then finish, yeah, you're good, is, then, yeah. um, is this answer. Is the idea that, and it, there's some problems with it, but I, I think this is pretty good, that that if someone is genuinely open to the gospel and wants to know God, they seek him, that he will reveal more to them. So hmm. yeah. a good example of that would yeah, be good. if you go to Acts chapter 10, Cornelius um, yeah. is, t- is said to be a good man, a God-fearer, and all those sorts of things. And he's open to the truth. And so what does God do? God sends Peter, mm-hmm. and Peter goes and preaches the gospel to Cornelius. So this person was open to the truth, and God sent them more revelation we would Mm -hmm. say more light yeah more truth Mm -hmm. now interestingly Mm -hmm. this is pretty cool you've got the muslim thing you've got people in embedded muslim countries who don't have access to christianity and god uh, jesus is appearing dreams yeah yeah. so we've got a video on that it's something like 85 percent of muslims in those contexts who become christians say that happened to them wow five percent wow (laughs) we've got a video on that but here's another thing Hmm. when the southern baptist when the uh, international mission board of the southern baptist convention reaches places that are in what we call the 1040 window. Mm-hmm. The 1040 window is places that have not yet received the gospel, yeah, yeah. the very places we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They say it is so common to find out that those people will say, we were just praying that God would reveal more to us about mm. who he is. Wow. So I think it's, I can't be dogmatic about it, yeah. but I think it's very possible mm. that like Cornelius in the Bible, if someone's open, God will send that That's message right, to yeah, them. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. So, really so there's different ways that you can answer that question. Yeah. I think there's merit to all of those ways. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. So we can have, we can have. What we can't do is, is, put too much stock into those possibilities that we don't feel that pressure to mm-hmm. go be obedient and share the gospel. Yeah, that's though. right. So yeah. we, we need to we need to let that question haunt us so that we are always Out making going sure doing, yeah. there's no one in our sphere of influence that hasn't heard, that hasn't heard the gospel. Right. And hey, you know what? Even if it were true, even if Jesus personally preached the gospel to every person on earth such that everyone knows and everyone gets saved, you should still go be a missionary. And the mm-hmm. reason is because they need to learn everything they can know about the Christian faith to serve in the kingdom because 
uh, Christianity is not just about getting saved and getting your fire insurance. It's about learning to serve Jesus. Amen. And there are so many people who do hear the gospel that reject the gospel. Yeah, anything, yeah that's right. You got us all fired up, Caleb. <laughs> this is good stuff, man. We're getting yeah, some awesome comments. The thing about apologetics for the two of us, the <laughs> apologetics is eventually getting around to the gospel and seeing people get saved. It's, it, it could become just an intellectual exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's got to be, there's got to be, the end. There's got to be a target, yeah. yeah the end yeah. result of this is to be more effective in evangelism. People get saved. Right. Yeah, that's right, there it saved. is. That's right, there it is. I want to get a few more questions. I don't want to take forever here, but these are some good questions. This kind of has to deal with the same kind of topic we're on, eternity, heaven, and hell. And this comes in and says, if God knew that some people wouldn't choose him, um, I think we've heard the question a lot, then why would he, uh, would end up in hell, then why would he choose to create them in the first place? Oh, I can add that one. Thanks. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I was... the easy ones. You take the hard yeah, ones. Yeah, I was actually posed this question um, in, in a debate once mm. uh, last year in, in Waco, Texas. But so, so here's the thing. First of all, again, don't know for sure. This is a question we have to speculate a little bit about, but it's not as though we don't have any direction. There is some direction. So first of all, the, 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 the desire is to say, look, if, if Bill, is there anybody here named Bill? You're Bill. Okay, Bill, we'll use Bill. <laughs> if Bill freely chooses not to accept Christ, and God knows before he ever makes the world, he knows if I create the world this way, Bill's going to come about, and Bill's going to bust hell wide open. We all know that about Bill. <laughs> and so come on, Billy. If I, if, and so people want to say, God's well, then it's God's spirit? fault in some way. That's mm, God's fault mm. then. But understand, if Bill has free will, you still can't say it's God's fault. Even if God knew that Bill wouldn't choose, Bill still had the freedom to choose Christ or not. It's still on Bill. It's not on God. Secondly, there is an intrinsic goodness to existence. It's still a good thing that Bill existed. And you know something? It may be that I was thinking about this the other day. I was responding to an atheist who made a YouTube video, and he was saying this very thing. And I said, you know, it's something. It could be that because this atheist that, that, that may end up going to hell, and I hope he doesn't, that God allowed him to exist to challenge the gospel with such stupid objections hmm. that I would be able to make this video right now, reveal them for how dumb they are, and a thousand more people end up going to heaven as a result Amen. of it. Amen. So it may be that, see, here's the thing. I don't hmm. believe God wants anyone to go to hell, and I don't believe God wants anyone to experience anything bad. But God can redeem and use bad things like that to, to bring about some ultimate plan. We saw that him do that with Joseph's brothers in the book of Genesis. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he, people take this wrong all the time. I don't think God wanted them to do the bad thing. The Bible says there, um, what, you intended, what, I, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. I don't think God intended, God, God didn't intend for them to do evil so that he could intend to use it for good. Isn't that how you say it? Right. Yeah. He, they did the evil thing, and God knew they would do it and redeemed it and used it for something good. Right. So God can redeem the stupid things we do. But it's not on God. It's on Bill. Get saved, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but further than that, think about, think about how, how, how biology works, for, for example. Yeah. Okay? Um, you said you have children and grandchildren. Yes. Keep this yes. PG-rated, do, do they have... Do they, do, do they have relationships with Christ? Yes. Okay, so they wouldn't exist 
unless Bill was here too, but God loves them as well. He knew that they would exist. Mm -hmm. So why do we trade them out so that Bill doesn't have to exist? Mm -hmm. So th mm -hmm. you can think about this in a, in a number mm -hmm. of ways, but, but it's on Bill to accept Christ or That's not. Right, yeah. But just because God knows that, God sees, God knows all things, mm -hmm. and he knows that Bill's kids and grandkids mm -hmm. are going to be in covenant relationship with him. Yeah. They're going to give their lives to Christ. Mm -hmm. um, don't deny, and, if, if it, and I agree with you, that existence is intrinsically good. It's a good thing that Bill did get to experience the pleasures because, first and foremost, we don't exist for our own sake. This mm -hmm. is God's universe. We're his creatures. Yeah. Period. Yeah, and I know that's a hard reality for yeah, some people. That's the to, truth but, of it, yeah. but we don't ultimately exist for ourselves, whether you believe in Christianity oh, or not. Right, yeah. And and so mm -hmm. the choice here, and, and and this might make people uncomfortable, but not only should Bill exist so that God can have a that the proverbial Bill, not right. Yet. Now I understand what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exist uh, so that. God can have the relationship with the kids mm -hmm. that He would have that would otherwise not exist if Bill didn't. Yeah. But Bill is still going to serve a purpose in hell to glorify God in the display of his justice. Mm. And that's a hard reality for, for people some people, but, but it's, it's still true. because it's on Bill. Bill had the choice. Right. You know, the, the thing that's attributed to C.S. Lewis, that the door to hell is locked from the inside. And right. something I, I want to mm. add to that, this is just my personal view on it, and it goes back to that question of if God knows you before he created you, and God knew before he ever even created you that you was never going to know him, seek him, or want to have a relationship with him, and you were going to go to hell. Why would he do that? I also, adding on to the points that you all made, I also believe that God, that is an example by having that free will of having faith, of seeing that, okay, I know this person I know they don't believe in God, I, but I see how their life is. But then yet I know you believe in God. I know you have faith, and I see how your life is. So not only do I still have the free will, but I have examples, have exam of, yep. I have examples of what this person's life is like who doesn't believe right. versus this person's life yeah. who does believe in that. Point, and that. And that very example <laughs> of those two could be the very thing that leads me to my salvation and my relationship with Christ. Absolutely, that's a really Christ. good point. Don't yes. anybody think that Bill here is going to bust hell wide open. I don't <laughs> right, and we, we always need to have pastors give the good points after we've done <laughs> give, make, giving everyone a headache and make their eyebrows hurt. So. <laughs> i got a few more. One, this is kind of just a real direct question, and it has to deal with a different religion. Um, it says, will the beliefs of a Catholic get you to heaven? Well, that's going to be a controversial one among evangelicals. Of, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and somewhat between, I think, the two of us have, right? I don't think so. I think we probably no. agree. Okay. Um, some people may not like this answer, but the standard to get in heaven is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's right, yeah. Catholics believe those things. Mm -hmm. Catholics also believe in a whole bunch of stuff that I don't agree with. Yeah. Uh, Eastern Orthodox believes that and a bunch of stuff that I don't agree with. So but the Baptists believe that, and they believe in a bunch of stuff that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Pentecostals believe that, and they believe a bunch of stuff that I don't agree with. Yeah. Presbyterians believe that, and they believe in a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff that I don't agree with. Now... I am not as amped up about the Protestant Reformation as most Protestants mm -hmm. are. Um, the controversies that they were having were serious. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily what Paul was talking about with the, 
Judaizers and 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 the yeah, yeah, Gentile yeah. church in mm. the book of Galatians and Romans regarding justification. Uh, so so I can say that Catholics um, like my Assembly of God brothers and sisters who I love, and mm. I consider myself kind of somewhat into that. Too. Mm-hmm. I'm not a part of their domination, but kind of in that yeah. tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the Presbyterians mm-hmm. and the Baptists, uh, I agree with them on the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, mm-hmm. and I disagree with them on the things that I think they're crazy on. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I don't necessarily disagree with him on anything necessarily. Here's where I would add, and I know he'd agree with me on this, where I'd add a word of caution about this is that simply put to put it in a real pastoral kind of church way there's a lot of catholics that are saved and there's a lot of catholics that are lost Mm -hmm. there's a lot of baptists that are saved and a lot of baptists that are lost there's a lot Mm -hmm. of assembly of god that are saved and lost that that's true but but here's the thing there are some things that i think are serious enough I'm uncertain enough about it with, with the Catholic Church for some reasons that would take a while to get into that I always, I think people that are in the Catholic Church should think very seriously about whether they should be in that church. And uh, part of it has to do with um, the sacraments and, and the necessity of the sacraments and maintaining your salvation and some of those kind of things. That Dr. Pritchett and I have argued about this just recently, so I know what he's thinking. But, um, but, but I agree with him that in the book of Galatians, for instance, when Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians, and he's talking to them about adding to Christianity circumcision and some of the Jewish things, mm-hmm. that there was something particular going on there where there was the concern in the early church that Jewish Christians were going to go back to Judaism and that Christian, Gentile Christians were going to think that you had to be Jewish. That was a real concern. But there was also a concern uh, about adding um, works that are understood to earn your salvation. Mm-hmm. And so anywhere it looks like that might be going on or could be misunderstood to mm-hmm. think that's going on, I think it's a serious and dangerous thing. So all I'm saying is when you run into a Catholic person, don't assume that they're a Christian. But guess what? When you run into a Southern Baptist Same or an Assembly of God, yeah. Don't assume that they're a Christian. Find out what they believe, most importantly, about Jesus. Yeah, because... You don't have to say anything else. I'll fix it. I'm just saying, well, what I said wasn't broken, by the way. I'm I'm more ecumenical than a lot of evangelical types, right? Conservative evangelicals. Mm -hmm. I'm a conservative Mm paleo-orthodox guy. So, for me, uh, the essential Christianity, we could look at one Bible... Made of two testaments, mm-hmm. you've got three creeds, you've got four councils, and you've got five centuries of consensus of the early church fathers. Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox all affirm that much. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that is essential Christianity, and everything else is secondary and tertiary doctrine, mm-hmm. doctrines that we could disagree on. That's important. Yeah. They're important doctrines, yeah. and, I, and I share your, your uh, concerns with some Catholic doctrines. Um, and some Eastern Orthodox doctrines. They likewise have those concerns for me. But You're just not consigning them to the flames over I don't there. send them to hell because they have, just like I don't send Southern Baptists and Assemblies of God and Presbyterians and anyone else mm-hmm. to hell, because those are things that we I don't think are essential to, uh, number one, the core charisma of, of the gospel message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. and you'll be saved. Mm-hmm. But, but simply so, put, I, I do think, and, and really let's just end on this and go on to the next question, but I do think uh, there are some things about 
the way that the leadership is viewed in the papacy in the in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and I think there's some things about the Mary stuff. Actually, isn't my main concern, but there is some stuff there that needs to be taken very very seriously. Um, you know, they say they venerate the saints and venerate mm-hmm. Mary. It's not mm-hmm. worship, but the question sometimes is, if it was worship, how would you know the difference? The way that you're venerating, but uh, but there are some things there, the sacraments that. That's the different. There are some different and deeper things there, I think, than I find with various denominations of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. So be careful, and 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 I don't think I think people should move out of the Catholic Church. I'm happy to say that, um, but that doesn't. Oh, mean I'm happy to say that. But that doesn't mean they're not my brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. I, no, I I I like local non-denominational churches. Yeah. I think, and and just, and we spent time on that because that's a. That's yeah, a tense it's a touchy, question, yeah, it's a touchy and it's question. a and there's a lot of Catholicism that goes on. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. No, I understand completely. Uh, I want to get to one more question, Bill. Do you have any more questions before we get ready to wrap up? No. Um, this is a question. So, what do you say? Uh, I think this is one that a lot of us are asking and wanting to know. What do I say to my atheist friend uh, to prove that God is real and really just hit him where he has no response? Is there anything that we can look at or say or argument we can point to that proves to him or this or her? That God's real, and it's up to them for them to really to see that. What would you say to? Mm, so prove is a touchy thing. Now <coughs> I don't want to take too much. So the point is, we don't ever want to overstate our case. Mm-hmm. And what Christian apologetics is supposed to do is to show that um, the best explanation that we have for the different evidences and arguments that we provide is Christianity. It's the be- God is the best explanation for the design in the universe. He's the best explanation for morality. Um, the resurrection is the best explanation of the events surrounding the death of Jesus and the growth of the early church. But we don't. when people say prove, I think sometimes they're thinking of it being in a test tube or something, or I can knock hmm. on it, and it's like, here it is. It's, it's, I've proven it with that level of certainty. Now, Paul did say in Acts chapter 17, God has proved these things to you hmm. by raising a man from the dead. Now, that was in a day where you could still go ask the people who saw it, you know, <laughs> who saw the risen Christ. But, um, but yeah, in terms of a, a, of a really good reason that I think is really hard to get out of, and this will be a good meaty kind of yeah, thing to, yeah. to get to Absolutely, here at the yeah. end, for God's existence. Now, again, for the, to get to Christianity, um, you'd have to give the resurrection case. Mm-hmm. But, but to just show that God exists, this is my favorite argument. Yeah, go for it, man. It's, it's also a little bit... You know, out there. it's hard to get your mind around the first time you hear it. But in my opinion, this is the best argument for God's existence. And what I love about it is you can. So, my, both of my daughters, when they were about six years old, came up to me and said, "Daddy, I know there's a God." Oh, really? How do you know that? Well, because if there's no God, who made everything? Right? I mean, that that's an obvious thing mm-hmm. that kids think about. Yeah. yeah. Well, so this, what I'm about to show you is simple enough that kids can talk about it and PhDs in philosophy can argue about it. And, and, and here it is. So it's, this is an argument that is, uh, has to do with cosmology, the beginning of the universe, mm-hmm, the beginning mm-hmm. of the world. But it's not a science-y argument, although you can use science in it. Here's what we're basically saying. And this is how an argument in philosophy works. You have two statements that we call premises. Yeah. And you know all this, Caleb, but for anyone who doesn't... No, not all. And then then you have a conclusion. So here's the argument. Everything that begins to exist has a cause for its existence. Now, that seems obvious, right? Everything Mm -hmm. that starts to exist, begins to exist, has a cause for its existence. Two, the universe began to exist. 
And then the conclusion is the universe must have a cause for its existence. So the idea is, this seems obvious, right? Everything, if everything that happens, I mean, you know, uh, we're sitting on this stage right now because we walked up here on this stage. We walked up here on this stage because someone asked us to come here tonight. Someone asked us to come here tonight. You can go on and on back mm -hmm. as far as you want. Everything that begins to happen or starts to happen has a cause. The universe began to exist, so it needs a cause. You say, okay, well, I can, I can accept that, Braxton, but then how do I know it's God? All right, great question. I'm so glad you all asked it. You're a brilliant crowd. So here's the answer. We can start by what it can't be. And this is where it gets a little trippy, so stick with me. Nothing in the universe and the stuff that the universe is made of, those things couldn't cause the universe to begin to exist. Why not? Because those are the things we're trying to explain. Those are the things we're trying to explain starting to exist. So what's the universe made of? Well, three things, basically. If you, if you boil it all down, there's three things. Time, believe it or not, time is a real thing. And time is something that began to exist with the universe. Now, I'm not saying that as some kind of a Christian theologian guy. That's what physicists understand, many of them, is that time is a part. You hear people talk about space-time, you know, and sometimes in sci-fi movies they'll talk about a tear in space-time or something. You know, time is a real part of our universe. Space is a part of our universe. Not just outer space, but the space that we're inhabiting right now. And then physical matter, the stuff, right? The stuff you can touch. Time, space, and matter. That's what the universe is made of. Okay, so if, if that's what the universe is made of, and those are the things we're trying to explain, those things can't be the cause of the universe. What does that tell us? It tells us that the universe, whatever the cause of the universe is, is a timeless, or we might say eternal, spaceless, non-material, doesn't occupy space, and non-material, not physical, but we might say, what, supernatural? Cause. It's a spaceless, timeless, non-material something. And it had to have a mind in order to create the universe from a state like that. And we could go deeper into that. But basically, you have a spaceless, timeless, non-material, powerful mind, which is what I think, at the very least, Moses was thinking of when he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hmm. Now, let me put a little more onto that. So let's go back. You, where people, I've done this talk enough, Caleb, yeah. that I've noticed <laughs> where people get hung up. And where they get hung up is they say, wait, no, it's the universe is space, time, and matter. Why, why does that mean that those things can't cause the universe? All right. In our family, we like Toy Story. Do you guys like Toy Story? Yeah, I like Toy Story. Do you like oh, Toy yeah. Story, Pritchett? Yeah, Who's your favorite character? Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear? My favorite character used to be Buzz, now he's Woody. Um, Bill, what's your favorite character? The little aliens that say, the claw, the claw. <laughs> I actually don't like Toy Story. Oh, man. No, Come he, on. Yeah. Well, well, Bill, well, no, you Bill, you're going to bust hell Bill. wide open. <laughs> Billy <Bill>. might be. <laughs> so, all right. So, so anyway, so, so here we go. What if I asked you who or what caused the digital universe of the Toy Story films? What caused those films to be made? And I said, well, Pritchett says, well, I like Buzz Lightyear, so I'm going to say Buzz Lightyear caused the Toy Story films. doesn't make any sense. Buzz Lightyear's in the film, right? He's one of the characters. We know that someone outside of that digital universe, voice actors, story writers, digital animators, those people made that universe, that digital universe of Toy Story. But the things in the universe couldn't cause them because that's what we're trying to explain. In the same way, time, space, and matter 
are the things that this universe is made of, and so they can't be the cause. Something out, someone outside of that universe is the cause. So a spaceless, timeless, non-material, powerful mind is the best explanation. Yeah, why is it a someone, though? Okay, the reason that it's a someone is because this gets a little deeper into the philosophy, but... You're welcome. We said that it was a timeless state, right? Time was created. So if it's a timeless state... There's nothing even. There's no nothing happening. There's no sequence of events. It's God's changeless, right? It's mm. just timeless, spaceless, nothing, which means nothing is happening. <laughs> nothing random moving around. Nothing determined like a chain of dominoes. I mean, nothing. It's just spaceless and timeless. Mm. So that means that whatever the cause is, has to be something that has free will to decide to create. And what sort of things have free will? Personal minds do, like you and me, except far greater than you and me. So God is a mind. So there's a lot more we can say about that. In fact, I've defended these arguments we presented tonight in debates before, and you can get all of those in a debates playlist on our YouTube channel, again, at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter, and you can see a debate that Pritchett's in and we defend, yeah, and we and we defend these things with atheists. So if you think all oh, this guy, if you ever really talk to an atheist, he'd chew him up. Well, go watch and see if you if you think that. If you you might he think does. that you he might does, yeah. you might think I got chewed up, but yeah. So that's that's a I that seems weird at first the argument I just gave, but the more you learn about it, there's someone watching tonight. I know is watching tonight that was in a small group on apologetics we had uh, downtown at another church uh, for a few years and. She heard that argument, and at first it was weird to her, and later she, she said, that's my favorite, that just to me. And it all goes back, so, if all that sounds weird, it all goes back to something so simple as my six-year-old daughter saying, I know there's a God, because <laughs> there's no God who made everything. Yeah. Well, wow. who made God? Did you really have to go there? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> okay, so who made God? Well, you I, I said can, everything I, that exists. I, yeah, I can answer no, this. No, that's not what you said, though. I can answer it real yeah. quick. So the only things that need beginnings or endings are things in time. Remember how we said God was timeless? Time, things in time have beginnings and endings. Those are time-based phrases. Mm -hmm. So things in time need beginnings or endings. But God is timeless. He doesn't have a beginning or ending. So as a, as a result of that, he doesn't need to begin. And right. by the way, by the definition, he nobody could have created him because he never began. And the first premise of that argument that you gave was everything that begins to exist, yeah. not everything that exists. And so uh, hmm. even the physicists who believe that the universe came to exist, they believe that without the physical world, you wouldn't have beginnings and endings or anything. You just have timelessness. And so that's a, that's an important thing, I guess, to state. Richard Dawkins is probably the world's most famous atheist. He wrote a book about 10 years ago called The God Delusion, which is one of the worst books. He's a biologist, but he got out of the lab. Somebody let him out of the lab, and he started trying to do philosophy, and he didn't know what he was talking about. And a fellow philosopher atheist named Michael Roos, because Dawkins brought that who made God thing that Pritchett just talked. And uh, Michael Roos, who's an atheist philosopher uh, at Florida University, said, Richard Dawkins makes me ashamed to be an atheist because of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, so all that's fun. But the most important thing, if I don't get to say anything else tonight, I want to say this, Caleb. The most important thing is that all this stuff is fun to talk about, and it's kind of interesting and all that. But the most important thing 
is that you come to know the Lord Jesus That's Christ right. and you help other people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not just about having an interesting conversation. It's about reaching people with the gospel. Amen. Amen. There it is. Again, we want to thank you so much for coming in and spending your night with us. Thank you, Caleb. Don't, s- hey, you guys have an awesome pastor. <laughs> and a pretty awesome outreach pastor. Yeah, there he is. Got, there. You, Who's <laughs> not going to hell, by the way. You, you've got an awesome bill here. Awesome bill. So Who <laughs> doesn't like Toy Story? <laughs> hey, but we want to thank you guys. Again, you guys can find his stuff online on YouTube. I encourage you to check it out. Amazing stuff. It goes more in detail and maybe more topics. Uh, that you can find just more specific. And uh, so, again, thank you guys so much for coming. Bill, would you want to close us out in prayer, ma'am? Absolutely. Uh, Lord, have a gracious Father. We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to be able to come together, Lord, Father God, and just to fellowship and discuss and just to, to, to get the message out of what it is to have a relationship with you and your the, the existence and our existence. And, Lord God, we just thank these men of God. We thank them for coming tonight to be a part of this panel. And we just ask you to keep us safe and protected as we leave here and we just go out to be soldiers for your kingdom. And as he sings your name, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. So I know this has impacted someone's life today. So if you've liked it, would you like and share this? To just, to, just get some information out, man. And uh, again, this is every Wednesday night we're doing this. Next week we're talking about worship. We're going to go a little bit more on what is worship. Worship is more than just music and song. And so we're going to have some worship leaders and pastors from the area. And uh, we'll see you next week.